We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app what's it been like to stand in the center of the covid19 storm what have we learned about coronavirus and what will the rest of the year bring this week on 880 In Depth, a conversation with the man who runs the biggest healthcare system in New York, a man who doesn't mince words when talking about what he sees happening across the country right now. Most people in some places are not wearing any masks. That is, to be blunt about it, that is stupid. There is no other word for it other than stupidity. Michael Dowling, president and CEO of Northwell Health, on the front lines of COVID. This is 880 In Depth. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. Michael Dowling is president and CEO of Northwell Health. Northwell is New York's largest health care concern, handling more than 2 million patients a year. Northwell Health is also the state's largest private employer, with some 72,000 employees. Even in the midst of the pandemic's worst days, Michael Dowling exuded confidence and kept New York focused on surviving the tidal wave that was COVID-19. Listen to him on WCBS back on March 17th. Uh, So are we ready? I would like to say, I want to say yes, but we all have got to be more ready than we think. Northwell treated more than 50,000 COVID-19 patients this year, more than any other hospital system in the nation. What was it like? It was it was being in the front lines of a war. What's it like today? That's how we started our conversation with Michael Dowling. Well, right now we're doing quite well. We've got just over 100 COVID patients in our hospitals uh, today. And that obviously is a very, very, very small number relative to where we were just a couple of months ago. Uh, so we're doing well. Um, we're uh, all of the other you know, business is beginning to come back. Uh, we have opened up our facilities for non-COVID patients, of course. So we're back doing surgery. Our cancer program uh, is back up and running. Our ambulatory sites are up and running. And, of course, we're doing it carefully and uh, doing all of the proper, uh, you know, uh, social distancing and testing before various procedures, as well as everybody being masked and all employees getting their temperature taken as they come in in the morning, etc. So we are coming back up. Um, we're obviously not where we need to be. But overall, compared to where we were, um, it's, uh, it's pretty calm. Uh, we're in control. And uh, we're obviously just, uh, you know, very cognizant of what's going on across the country. 
and hoping that um, we don't get another major spike in the fall. Um, although if that happens, we have to prepare for it. Yeah, so that's where I also want to drive the conversation. Sure. I saw that you uh, published something this week looking back on where you've come from, and you right. say it was like a war. It was like there's no other uh, metaphor you say that, that's as, uh, as descriptive. Tell me about what it was like in its worst moments. Well, uh, it was uh, absolutely hectic. Um, we were in control all through um, because we have a very adaptable organization, uh, very flexible. Uh, we, we're pretty innovative. But um, I, it's very hard to describe what it is like unless you're in the middle of it. I'll give you an example. I mean, we had, you know, in late March, early April, we had about 100, 150 cases. And within, within a week, we went from about 150 cases to almost 4,000 cases in our hospitals. So the escalation of sick people coming to our hospitals was pretty extraordinary. It happened very, 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 very fast. Now, we were, we were pretty well prepared for it, but um, no matter how well you get prepared, there is uh, nothing um, uh, that prepares you for the severity of the illnesses that we saw. When I walked around the hospitals in the middle of the crisis and was on the ICU floors, and I've been in this business a long time, what I observed was something I could never, ever imagine seeing, uh, where you see rows and rows and rows of horrifically sick people. Um, and many at that time were obviously dying, and they were on... Uh, uh, you know, ventilators, and then to see the staff uh, who uh, were, you know, just absolutely extraordinary. It was it was being in the front lines of a war, um, and the resilience of the staff and the compassion shown by the staff was something to behold. In fact, it was humbling. You walked away from the facilities every day and every night saying, boy, we have some great people working here, and if anybody is able to battle this disease and win, and not quit and not give up. It is these people who are working with us. So the credit goes to the people on the front lines, to be honest, because they're the ones that took the brunt of the hit and they sustained it and they have showed resilience and courage. And um, But I've never been through anything like this ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, in many ways, when you look back on it, the fact that we went through it, um, uh, it's not something you wish to do, but after you go through it, you say to yourself, boy, this was an experience that we've learned from. Um, and this, this shows something special about people who work in healthcare, and we should feel very, very proud to be in this business. So, Michael, you know we're in the news business over here, and we see what's happening in places like Texas and Florida. And I have to tell right. you, some of the news accounts that I see coming out of there are so eerily uh, reminiscent of the things that we went through, the stories that we heard, the lack of ICU beds, the exhaustion of the staff. Do you feel the same way when you hear and see news reports around the rest of the country? Yeah, when I, and I've been in contact with many of the people around the country because in all of the big health systems, we all know each other. So many of us have been in contact and uh, some of them did not prepare the way I think they should. I think they observed what was going on in New York, obviously, but then they basically, I think, had the attitude, well, it will never happen here. You know, we don't have to plan as if it will happen here because it won't. And this also gets to some of the politics of this of, of the COVID issue where some people are going around saying, well, uh, we don't believe it really exists and it won't happen. And that's why you had governors in some states, in my view, 
making terribly stupid decisions, uh, reopening when they shouldn't reopen. And so they became, uh, you know, complacent. And um, as I have been telling people that I was on the phone with over the weekend, you know, be prepared. When this thing hits, it hits fast. And you've got to start making the preparations now. Don't wait until next week. We'll do it today so that you're prepared. And also, I have staff in some of those places right now that we have sent down there. And I, they call and tell me that more, most people in some places are not wearing any masks. They're not doing the prevention that is needed. And that is, to be blunt about it, that is stupid. There is no other word for it other than stupidity. Um, but if, if they don't, you know, do the right things based upon the lessons that we learned up here, uh, then they're going to suffer the consequences. And unfortunately, uh, there will be many deaths because of the inappropriate actions taken by certain people. And that's not to deny that there are great people on the front lines of those hospitals, nurses and doctors, doing yeoman's work. But you need leadership. You need people to stand back and say, this is a serious public health issue. Um, uh, this is something we have. This is an enemy attacking the United States, and we have to plan for it like we would plan for any other invasion of the United States. And we got it. That leadership has to come from the White House, and unfortunately it's not happening. What have we learned from what we went through in, in the early part of this year that can help us be prepared if we see a resurgence, uh, large or small, later this year? Yeah. Well, one is prepare early and uh, develop surveillance early warning systems. I mean, we in our health system right now have a, an early warning surveillance system. So we're able to detect around the region if we see people coming into any of our facilities that might be suffering from respiratory issues, breathing issues, etc. We show, we show, we can identify where there are potential hotspots, and we can identify those way in advance. And so each time we see a little spike in, 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 in the numbers of people showing up at any one of our facilities uh, with some respiratory problems, we jump on it right away. So early warning surveillance systems, which everybody is working on, we don't have the sophistication developed yet as to how to do this. Uh, but I will say one other thing. This is something, by the way, that the various countries around the world should be working together in tandem on. We should be working together with China and with Europe and with England and with Canada to develop a worldwide early, surve early surveillance system so that we can anticipate and see what might be happening in the future. Unfortunately, that's not happening. Uh, we are doing it on a local basis, but that should be happening internationally. This is not a time for countries to be fighting with one another. It's time for countries to be working together. We can fight on other issues at other times. We, we should be working together uh, to, uh, to make the, the world aware of things that might be coming so we can prepare way in advance. One question on everyone's mind is, when will this be over? especially given the news this past week about promising results on a vaccine in testing. Says Michael Dowling, not so fast. People jump to the conclusion that, you know, we have a vaccine and we will have a vaccine sometime next year. Um, and that, that's, and again, any vaccine is not foolproof. So it will solve a lot of the medical problem. But the economic dislocation, the psychological issues, the behavioral health issues, uh, the whole disruption of the economy, the number of businesses that will never again reopen, the number of stores in Manhattan, for example, I know that are boarded up that may always be boarded up, the numbers of people and families that 
you know, back in January, February, had employment. They were looking forward to a good year. They were planning retirement. They were planning vacations. For many of those people, that's all gone. And for some of them, it will not come back. So the result of coronavirus is going to be a five- to ten-year battle, and we will have to battle back together on it, not, 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 using, not working through partisanship politics, but working together on it. Um, so it is more than just the, the virus itself. It's the economic and family and community dislocation as a result of it, including the disproportionate effect on minority and inner-city communities. One of the thing we, things we always look forward to when we speak to you is hearing more about uh, anything that we've learned on the medical front about the virus. What what do we know today that we didn't know weeks ago, months ago, and where are we in some of the research in, in ways to treat it down the line? Well, I, we know an awful lot more today than we knew before. I mean, at the very beginning, I mean, it was all new. We thought it affected the lungs. We didn't realize it affected every organ in the body. We now know it affects every organ in the body. Uh, we know a lot more now about when to put people in an ICU, when to give oxygen. What uh, We know an awful lot more about uh, when to put people on vents. Uh, we need a lot more. We didn't know, for example, that the coronavirus forum creates clots um, that can be deadly. We know that now so that we can uh, prevent for it um, when people come into the hospital. Um, and hopefully all of that learning, all of that clinical learnings will help those other states and those other hospitals to have different kinds of pre- treatment protocols based upon the lessons we learned here uh, and, of course, from Italy and from China. And we are in the midst of, uh, we have been doing a lot of treatment trials. We've had over 1,300 people in treatment trials with various different uh, drugs like uh, Remdesivir, uh, hydroxychloroquine, famotidine, um, plasma, uh, all of those are still ongoing. Uh, uh, we also know, for example, the, 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 the prevalence in the community as a result of our testing. We know how many people have antibodies now. We've been doing an awful lot of testing out there. What we don't know, of course, is how long the antibodies last. So while we know an awful lot more than we did back in March, we should also temper that uh, recognition by acknowledging that what we don't know is much larger. And we, what we don't know, we will only learn over time. Um, but how we treat patients today, uh, I think, is much more sophisticated than the way we dealt with them way back in early March when we, we saw this for the first time. Michael Dowling has spent his career in healthcare. He came to Northwell from Blue Cross Blue Shield, but before that he spent a dozen years in various positions in New York State government, including State Director of Health Education and Human Services, Deputy Secretary to the Governor, and Commissioner of the State Department of Social Services. Having worked in government for so many years, he knows the value of going back and looking at performance and pointing out flaws. A hot topic here in New York is how the governor and health officials handled COVID-19 positive patients transferred from hospitals to nursing homes to make room for critically ill patients. Political opponents of the governor have not been shy about charging that this policy was one of the biggest reasons so many New Yorkers in the thousands died in nursing homes during the pandemic. 
A state report last week said asymptomatic nursing home staff likely had more to do with that huge death toll in the nursing homes. We spoke to Dowling about the need to dig into how we handled the crisis overall. I think it is very well worthwhile to look back, and anybody who is intelligent in any way should be looking back, intelligently looking back, to see what we learned. Um, what we have to be careful of, and there's a little bit of this going on, that people want to look back to make political to, to make political hay out of it. You know, there are people to look back just to say, "Oh, I got you." Um, you know, why didn't you do this back in? Uh, in, in, in March, and a lot of the people, so there are some people, I mean, there's two kinds of people. There are people who look back uh, in a reasonable, intelligent, sophisticated way to really find out what we need to learn and the mistakes that might have been made. There are other people that look back so that they can make, the, the, for political reasons. And many of those people, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking is very, very easy. You know, it's always get, good to get up in the morning at Monday and say, boy, the guys who played the game on Sunday should have played differently. Uh, some of those people, and they're out there, um, uh, some of those people I don't have an awful lot of respect for because they're not interested in intelligent analysis. They're not interested in looking at the data the way they should look at it. They just want to make political points. That is, in my view, pretty disgusting, and um, uh, I don't have much time for that. that, that they, those kinds of uh, people. I have a lot of time for people who want to look at it in a very intelligent way. Um, all of us uh, make mistakes. We all make mistakes all the time. I look back at things we did, and I wish we had done them a little differently. I wish we had done them a little bit earlier. Uh, when do you wear masks? You know, you know, who should wear masks early enough? We, we learned a lot about this, and that's all good. We just got to be careful not to, uh, not to feed the negativity coming from some people who are doing it for no other reason other than to make political points. Well, a couple more points, and I appreciate you taking all the time. I noticed you also uh, had a, had a uh, paragraph about resist division and find ways to unify. It sort of yes. feeds right into that. I mean, I mean it's, it, there is such yeah, division was, in America, thing, huh? Yeah, one of the things that was remarkable during COVID, I mean, uh, you, know, you know, COVID affects everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're conservative, Republican, Democrat, or, 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 or conservative. Um, uh, black, white, it doesn't matter. Uh, and there was unity of purpose during COVID. Everybody, irrespective of their political persuasion, irrespective of where they came from, they worked together in unity. And I watched it every single day in the hospitals, everybody coming together to help everybody else. A unity of purpose to fight a common enemy. Um, that's what we need to be doing nationally. Our politics at the moment is so to toxic, it is ridiculous. You know, everybody's trying to make points. Um, everybody's, you know, demeaning everybody else. Uh, you know, this is not a, a Republican conspiracy or a, or a Democratic conspiracy. This is where, hopefully, if we were to look at this with proper leadership, we would be using coronavirus to bring the country together in unity, uh, just like the staff on the front lines did. They taught us a lesson about leadership. We should, that lesson should be learned nationally and regionally. We have to be working together to fight this enemy and bring us together so that we benefit the community at large. Everybody in the community, not just select components of the community, but everybody. That was the point I was trying to make. Uh, leadership is about promoting unity, taking accountability, building trust, being credible. Um, that's what leadership is about. Those who do the opposite 
are not leaders. Uh, they are advancing their own cause, uh, whether it be political or business. And this applies not only to the people in the political arena, but also to the people in business. Business leaders have to stand up and say, we have to unify as a country so that we can make the uh, United States what it should be. We are better than this. Um, the current the public uh, um, uh, display of politics at the moment is, is, in my view, not what the United States should be all about. And we should be taking an, uh, an international lead, going back to a point I made earlier, about how to prepare for the next time this happens, because believe me, it will happen again. Are you concerned uh, about any new surge around here? And are you concerned about exhaustion among the public in our area who saw success in our actions that led to, uh, uh, you know, flattening? Uh, But could that change? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, if you, you know, you know, people do get tired. People want to go back to a new normal. Uh, If we get another dramatic upsurge, we will have to deal with it. It's going to be a reality. Um, and we'll have no choice, you, you know, it's not what happens to you that matters, it's how you react to those circumstances that defines your character. So if it happens again, I believe people are resilient enough. Do they wish it? No. Will they be tired? Yes. But in the middle of a crisis, tiredness goes away. You buckle down and you say to yourself, we're going to defeat this, uh, we're going to fight this. What I hope happens in the meantime is that if we are to avoid an upsurge, uh, are a major upsurge, and nobody knows what exactly is going to happen. The public's got to wear masks, they've got to social distance, they've got to stop getting in congregate groups without wearing masks. That's the prevention side of this, and I've said this many times before. It's what we do now, between now and October, November, that will determine what happens in October and November. If we relax, take our foot off the accelerator, and say, oh, by the way, we just got over something, and now we can just go back to what we did before, that will generate the potential for another uptick. And then everybody will get upset, And but we'll have to say to them, okay, the reason you're going to be upset is because you didn't do what you should have done for the last three months. Uh, so I think that anybody walking around uh, without wearing masks and not social distancing appropriately is basically saying, I don't much care about my neighbor, and I don't much care about the community. I'm all about my own self-interest. And those people better look in the mirror and say to themselves, you know, is this what I really want to be? Is this who I really want to be? Um, that, to me, is our challenge over the next couple of months, is to, is to maintain um, the, the dedication to good practice between now and the fall. Michael, anything I didn't ask you that I should have, and I appreciate all the time you've taken? No problem. I, 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 you know, I, this, I believe, has changed our perspective overall. I, I do think that we will all be a little bit different because of this. And if we look at it, you can look at it as something bad that happened, which it was. But you can look at it and say, we learn from it, and we will all be better in the future. Uh, I, I think we will all be better because of this. It has demonstrated our fragility. The fact that we are not as powerful as we all thought we were back in January and February. Uh, and that um, if we come together um, locally, community-wise, and nationally, uh, we can deal with anything that is thrown at us. Um, and this, in many ways, is a wonderful case example of what we should be doing um, uh, going forward. And it is demonstrated on the front lines, and I hope that uh, that resonates with other people in other spheres of influence around the country and around the community. So. Um, 
If it comes back, I just want the public to know, if it comes back, we will be ready. Uh, we will deal with it, and we will win again. We do not succumb uh, to defeat here. We will beat this thing no matter how many times it comes back. That's the attitude that we have to have as we go forward. Well, I really appreciate you getting on the phone with us, Michael. Thank you. Anytime at all. Appreciate it. If you spend any time with Michael Dowling, it will become clear the respect he has for the staff of his organization. He has undying respect for those first responders and says they are the ones that got us through. Our thanks to Northwell Health and their president and CEO, Michael Dowling. This has been 880 In-Depth. Executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld. In-Depth is our weekly deep dive into a topic or, like this week, a conversation with a newsmaker. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts. Just in the search bar, search for 880 In-Depth. Have a good week. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 